Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the South by Southwest film documentary, That Feel When No Girlfriend, abbreviated as T-F-W-N-O-G-F, a documentary about kind of incels on the internet, but not really incels on the internet. We'll get into it. We're also going to talk about the South Korean action zombie thriller, Train to Busan. Uh, we were going to watch another movie from South by, but it didn't work out, and we'll talk about why when we get there. But Otherwise, Train to Busan is yeah an action zombie thriller, and that's what we watched, and we're going to talk about that as well. We're going to get into some news, and uh, before we get to all that, we need to talk about a brief uh, kind of show thing here. It's our 100th episode, Andy. 100th episode. I can't believe oh, it. 100 episodes, and my intros are still just as sloppy as they've always <laughs> been. It's great. Uh, we're going to talk about some show highlights, some things we've done, favorite episodes. We'll do that in the middle of the show. You don't need to worry about that. We'll get there when we get there. For now, we should talk about the news. Uh, first things first, an Extraction sequel is in the works at Netflix. We watched Extraction last week on the show. Uh, Andy, is this a surprise to you? Uh, no, not at all, really. So uh, last week, uh, Crims, Crims, Chris Hemsworth got on Instagram or on social media and posted that uh, an estimated 90 million households had watched uh, Extraction since its release on, on April 24th, um, which is huge. And apparently the, their widest viewed uh, kind of release of, of that they've ever done. Um, now, it's you always have to take these with a little bit of a grain of salt because... Netflix doesn't release any of that data. There's no way to verify it. But taking them at their word, it's a huge number. It seems like a lot of people were in into the the film, even though we didn't necessarily see it viewed favorably. And they're going to be making another one. I'm so curious if this is going to be like the beginning of some kind of action series for Chris Hemsworth, or if they're going to do one of those weird like direct to video offshoots they do with action series, like. Like John Cena and the Marine. In the Marine 2, John Cena wasn't the main character. It was some other action star. Like, are they going to try to pivot this in a way that there's multiple people involved? Or is this just like the hot new Chris Hemsworth vehicle? I don't know. But either way, I guess I'm a little surprised. Uh, I'm surprised because I don't think the film on its own had that much merit. But uh, clearly Netflix's numbers disagree, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we've said before, with Netflix, you get spectacle, maybe not necessarily substance, but spectacle sells. And, the, you know, they've been having a, a great time during this quarantine. They've, uh, we mentioned last week, they earned 16 million new subscribers. Um, so they just need more content. And if they find content, content that resonates with audiences, then they're going to keep making more in that vein. Yeah, and, and just like any other standard uh, Netflix series, uh, Netflix film, I should say, this is held to the same metrics, It's which is unlike a theatrical release. You don't have to hit the same numbers or the same box office revenues that you get with a theatrical film when a movie goes straight to Netflix. All you have to do is hit whatever is within their metrics to qualify as a good film. And for them, 90 million views is... is it's pretty up there, pretty much for any video content on the internet, really. That's, that's a smash success. Yeah, and, and it's also important to to mention that uh, what they count as a view is literally just watching two minutes of the film. So, which is a little generous, but honestly, all social media is a bit like that. There's usually, if you get a fraction of the total view, they, they just assume you've watched the whole thing. Sure, which is, you know, again, counterintuitive to first think about. But, I mean, when you think about it logically, if somebody's scrolling by on their phone and they stop and watch two minutes of your content... 
they're pretty much either hooked or not hooked at that point, right? They're either going to keep watching or they're going to bail. So two minutes is, is everything in the social media world. It's everything to Netflix. And I, I hope it gets them somewhere. I'm, I guess I'm excited to watch Extraction 2. More news to come here on Off Script, so stay tuned. Uh, our next story, HBO Max pre-order pricing is less than Netflix's standard plan. Warner Media's HBO Max is coming at the end of the month, and they've just recently announced their pricing. And surprise, surprise, they're undercutting their competition. Yeah, uh, and in the surprise to no one, as HBO Max is set to roll out later this month, uh, they're having kind of a one-year um, discounted rate for new. This is new subscribers, um, which is going to be twelve ninety nine per month, which is less than less than one of the Netflix tiers. I think it's on par, but usually um, HBO Max is fifteen dollars a month. So this is you get a couple of of bucks off, and uh, you you get. You know, all the HBO stuff, plus whatever, all the new Warner Media content that's coming. I think this is wise uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because HBO is typically premium content. Or at least that's how they see themselves, right? Things like Game of Thrones or The Wire or The Sopranos. You're already getting a step above what you would normally expect for television content, right? It's not TV, it's HBO. That's what they used to say. And, and on top of that, you're getting Warner Brothers movies really rolled in there and new series. Like you're trying, they're, they're really angling this as a premium service. So I think pricing competitively is important. I also think it, it's worth mentioning that they're pricing almost the same as what everybody else is doing. They're going just under Netflix for the first year just to get people on board. After that, they'll start to ramp back up to $14.99 a month. They are currently pricing at the same as Hulu's uh, 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 ad-free tier, right? Which is 12 bucks a month. Um, makes a lot of sense, right? Get people on board, uh, get them hooked on the good stuff, and then you jack up the price. Right. Love it. <laughs> yeah, that's how a lot of things work. Um, I was going to mention, in addition to the HBO original programming, there's also going to be a lot of third-party licensing, such as all the full season of Friends. Uh, that's that's a big one. The Big Bang Theory, South Park, Sesame Street, Pretty Little Liars, as well as uh, all of the Studio Ghibli collection, uh, which is really cool. And then uh, they're also going to get all the DC stuff, so like things like Joker, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman. I'm unreasonably excited about the DC stuff and the Studio Ghibli stuff. Mostly the Studio Ghibli stuff. But even still, just like Disney Plus has the Marvel collection, it'll be cool to have DC content in one place without an additional service. I know there's that DC something right now they've got. There's yeah, some there's, kind there's of like DC a streaming service. something. Yeah. yeah, so I I'm not sure if yeah I wonder if that stuff will will be on there. That that would be cool. That also worth pointing out. Crunchyroll and Rooster Teeth uh, will yes. will be on there. Two uh, very popular internet sites for for the older listeners out there, if you're not familiar. Uh, and speaking of Disney and Marvel, and, and this is really a stretch of a transition, and Star Wars, uh, Academy Award winner Taika Waititi is going to be directing and co-writing a new Star Wars feature film for theatrical release. This was announced just yesterday, I think. I'm going to be honest. I haven't exactly read the story, so I'm hoping Andy can fill in while I voraciously search for clues here. Yeah, uh, well, there's not much to it. Uh, it's all in the headline. Uh, Taika Waititi, of course, of Thor Ragnarok fame and Jojo Rabbit uh, will be releasing, uh, will be directing the next Star Wars feature film. Uh, 
it's not so much the details we do have is what we don't have. We don't have a release date. We have no idea when this is going to be, but I anticipate it might be their 2022 release, although the coronavirus uh, pandemic may may have affected that production. Although being that far out, it may not have. Uh, but probably the, their next film is, is that's what this one is going to be. Um, we also, it we it's this is just announcing one film. This isn't a trilogy. This isn't a big franchise. They haven't announced any kind of long-term plans. It's just one film. To start with, and I, I'm sure, and I'm sure there's more to, and I'm sure, I mean, you don't do Star Wars without having 20 films in the pipeline, but this is just kind of the the start, and this may be what I've talked about before, where Star Wars really just needs a really fresh start, um, and this may be where we get it. So, what do you, what do you think about about this? Uh, you know, I'm a little split on it. On the one hand, I like Taika Waititi a lot. We talked about him in episode 96 a few weeks ago when we watched his most recent film, Jojo Rabbit. We've talked about Thor Ragnarok on the show. We, we, we've watched some Taika Waititi content and the guy's real good, man. Jojo Rabbit is, 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 his most recent work and it is definitely an, exa- an example of him growing and learning as a director. Um, we didn't talk about it on the show, but he also directed, I think at least one episode of The Mandalorian, right? The yeah, Netflix the show. season finale. The Disney Plus show, yeah, right. He he directed the season finale. He also starred in it as the voice of one of the droids. Uh, he was he was in it as well. Uh, so I like Taika Waititi a lot, and and I like Star Wars a lot, and I think Star Wars definitely needs some direction coming off of the last few films. They need a little something. What's got me worried about this is looking at Disney's connection to larger larger films and big directors who are real creative and how they've worked with them in the past. I think of somebody like Edgar Wright, who was originally slated to do Ant-Man for Marvel and ultimately pulled out, pulled out of the project because he just didn't have enough creative control. He couldn't do it the way he wanted to do it. And he was the one who pitched it in the first place. Now they ended up making Ant-Man, but it wasn't directed by Edgar Wright. And it was all right. It stars Paul Rudd. It is what it is. I also think of, of, uh, and, and Edgar Wright went on to make Baby Driver, which is a fine film, and, you know, it's fine. I also think of uh, Guy Ritchie, right, who directed Aladdin. And then after that, he went and did uh, um, The Gentleman, which we also watched on the show. And he did The Gentleman, he said, because he just needed some kind of, like, creative something that he could get his hands around because he felt so stifled when he was making Aladdin. I think when Disney gets big directors, it's a good thing for Disney, but it may not be the best thing for that director. And that's what's got me worried because I like Taika Waititi a lot. Yeah, I, I, I agree that there, there is a track record of not having the artistic freedom, although it's strange because The Last Jedi did have exactly that. A lot more artistic, but then, <laughs> but then that kind of backfired in a lot of ways, uh, or it didn't go the way Disney had planned, um, and was and was ultimately problematic to the three films as a whole. Every every one of those films is problematic to the the new trilogy. I am excited about this, and, I, and I'm going to be honest. I my my Star Wars hype has been really pretty low <laughs> uh, recently, <laughs> but when I read this, I I was like back on the hype train <laughs> because. Uh, Taika Waititi, I think, is a great director. We've seen him do, uh, you know, commercially successful things like uh, the big comic book films, Thor Ragnarok, so he can do action and he can do comedy. We know he can do comedy. That's what he's best known for. But then, you know, he also can write really good heartfelt stories, as we saw in Jojo Rabbit and things like uh, Search for the Wilder People as well. Um, He's a great director who I think, you know, could do some great work with Star Wars. I think it's all about like you said, it's about artistic freedom and it's about not worrying about, you know, b- making sure that the movie ties into the park ride or ties into the merchandising, which I know it that has to be there. But somehow Marvel manages to do that and still be- have really artistic movies and not feel like you're being sold stuff. 
Right. And 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 Taika Waititi did Thor Ragnarok. He did a Marvel film. And not only did it work, it arguably revived that that those those films. Like I, I think people are stoked for Thor four, which I think he's also doing. So he's definitely he's definitely getting tangled up in this Disney thing. And if that's where he wants to go, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I just I'm a little wary because I, I like his original stuff and I'm sure he'll still do it. You're right. I, I forgot about Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson did that and then he went on to do Knives Out, which we loved. Uh, we did on the show as well. Um, man, we've done a lot of movies on the show. 100 episodes we've done. Um, but I, just kind of a footnote on this story before we move on. It's worth mentioning this movie that he's going to be producing will also be written by will be written by him along with a woman named Christy Wilson Cairns who re- most recently wrote 1917 which won three Oscars and was awesome. And we also watched in the show. Uh, she also wrote last night in Soho, but I think he's got a good team. I think Disney is looking for some bold new direction. I think they wouldn't be asking him to do it if they didn't think he was the guy and knowing his talent, I'll bet he is. I hope they can work through the logistics. That's, that's my thing. But otherwise I think it'll be all right. And with that, we should probably talk about our first film of the episode. It's been a while since we watched a documentary. So I'm excited to kind of get into this. If you don't count Tombstone Rashomon, which I don't, uh, so I'm excited to, so it's a fictional documentary. It's like a narrative doc. It's fine. Uh, so I'm excited to get into this one. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. Andy, please take it away. Uh, this is called TFW, no GF. When I think back, I think about like what bullshit I was doing on fortune because that's the only place that kind of seemed real. Uh, TFW No GF, uh, which stands for That Face When No Girlfriend, is a documentary uh, that looks into this meme uh, known as Wojak, uh, which comes from places like 4chan and is about kind of an insightful look into kind of what the, what is, I don't can't think of a better way to say, but incel culture or kind of this dark uh, internet subcultures that exist on the far reaches of the internet, places like 4chan, mess- which is a anonymous message board an image board and kind of getting into what these people are like in real life as opposed to their online uh, personas. Uh, We're introduced to a slew of of young uh, white disillusioned men who at the beginning of the film, they they don't really have a lot going on. They, they're not in college. They're what, and this is explained They're what we call neat, which is N E E T, which means no education, employment or training. Um, they just live at home in their basement or in their parents, you know, house. And they're just on the internet for 10, 12 hours a day or, or more, just trolling on Twitter, on 4chan, just, you know, and, and they've all kind of come together in different places. And, and all these, these, these guys who like, they don't have girlfriends, they don't have jobs, they don't have, they're not in college, not going to college. And they've all kind of found each other in what may or may not be, a kind of a dangerous situation. And so the documentary interviews several young men in this kind of subculture and follows them over the course of a couple of years. Um, and the, this is directed by uh, Alex Lee Moyer. So Zach, what'd you think of this? You know, I, there's, it's <laughs> a good start. I think there's a lot that this film has going for it. I think it doesn't quite get over the hump for me. And and I can briefly explain why, but we should get into what that means and and more about it. Uh, I I think ultimately what this film is doing, what it's observing, right? It's subjects are interesting. It's, it's, it's disillusioned 
uh, uh, young guys who think the world has left me behind and there's nothing left for me. Fundamentally, that's kind of intriguing to me. Like, hmm, okay, why would you feel that way? How, how, how could you think that way? You're, you're a white dude in 2020. What's your problem? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's intriguing. But ultimately, the film doesn't dig deep enough into them and their psyches and why they feel the way they feel to really have to have anything to say. And, and ultimately it's kind of just a, I don't know. It's a, it's like a leaf in the wind that kind of just blows by you. And that's okay. You know, I, I think documentaries don't have to have a question, but they do have to ask something of the audience, I think. And, and this one just kind of didn't do that for me, but maybe you feel differently. I am anxious to see what you thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I have a number of issues with this film, but uh, some are technical, some are more ideological. So uh, on the more technical side, it just, it's boring. Like it is excruciating to kind of get through. I, I had to watch it. It's not very long. It's only 83 minutes. I had to watch it in two parts um, just because I could not like focus in on it. Um, the other thing is, 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 like you said, as a documentary, it's just not interesting. Like, it's not asking interesting questions. Or it's not delving in. It's also very one-sided because we just – we get one side of the – you know, we interview these these guys, and it's a lot about how they see the world and what these issues are. But then – but there's no counterbalance. There's no, like, okay, let's interview someone who's at the same age range and situation, but is doing well, is in college or going to school or employed or starting a family, these kind of things. And then you, you don't interview anything like, you know, doctors or psychiatrists to kind of delve into the, the psyche. So it's, you get a really unbalanced uh, portrayal that, and that essentially doesn't ask anything uh, disprovocative. And I, I thought to myself, it, it would be like, if you, you know, I, I've seen the, the, documentary called Oklahoma about the Oklahoma City bombing and it would be like if you interviewed Timothy McVeigh and that's the only person you interviewed and you didn't talk to anyone else you know that it's like it's just a very one-sided thing and I think that makes for a poor uh documentary the other thing and I'll stop talking here is just I <laughs> ideologically I mean I I think uh I I, I feel it's, it's a pretty bad idea to sympathize with these people or to make them sympathetic because while these people may not be inherently dangerous, which is, I think an argument the film tries to make is like, yes, this, they say stupid things online. Yes. They, they say racist and misogynistic things, but they don't really mean that they don't, you know? Uh, but I mean, wh where's the line? Like, I don't know that as a reader, I don't know, like meaning is, you know, who knows? Like people can make that up on, on the spot. Like that's usually what happens is someone says something and it's only when they get in trouble that they're like, Oh, I was joking. You know, and there's a good friend of mine who's a lawyer once said, you know, uh, jokes don't hold up well in court. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and that's I think context is important. And that's probably the first place we should get going on this to kind of talk about it. But I, I do want to talk about before we do that, just general presentation, because this movie is, is this documentary is not shot like most traditional documentaries. It's not exactly clean shots and, and studio stuff. It's a whole lot of field work. Right. It, it focuses on, I think, four different men. Uh, two of them are brothers, so really it bounces around to three different places. New York, uh, uh, El Paso, and then Lubbock, Texas to follow one man. And then, I don't know where the other guys are. Washington or Tennessee? Yeah, they're, something like They're that. somewhere odd. Yeah, these two brothers. And really what it seems like is somebody just rolled up to their house one day with like just your standard video camera and just kind of followed them around and filmed them. And asked them how they feel about stuff, but never really any kind of like investigatory questions to find out more, you're right. Your your analogy for like try, trying to follow a crime without 
actually doing any investigating and just asking the killer what they did is exactly what this feels like. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really get into any kind of larger. Yeah, like you're not talking to the victims, the family, right? The we're not. We're not. We never see their parents. We never see their siblings, other than the two brothers. We never see anybody in their lives. It is just these guys. That is it. it is the only people you're talking to. They're not talking to other users on the website 4chan uh they're not it's just, it's just these four dudes that's it that's all and and that that that's kind of kind of lame it, it needed a bit more subject wise yeah and, and and i think um yeah yeah you're exactly right like it it, it gives a voice to someone uh who maybe should shouldn't have it you know that's what i was thinking only on you know, if any, if this film is condemning anything to me, it's it's actually social media because only on social media could people like this even gather a following. Um, even mm-hmm. on the internet, it's difficult to get people to listen to you. But I mean, you know, why would anyone listen to someone who's you know out of high school, not in college, not employed, not trained for anything, lives with their parents, you know, is online for ten hours a day, and has twenty thousand Twitter followers, like? No, no other place besides social media would that be possible. <laughs> yeah, right. Except in this documentary, of course, which is what's going on. And and one of the, hold on, let me stick with presentation before I get into theme. Uh, another thing this film does to kind of fill in the space because it's only eighty eight minutes. Um, on top of kind of this home video footage we get of these guys, there's a whole lot of animated segments featuring our our kind of. <laughs> our meme, the, the, eternal meme. Yes, our meme protagonist, uh, which is this character named Wojak, uh, which is if you if you've ever seen a handful of internet memes, you might have come across it at some point. It's just kind of this black and white dude, and and some animator for for the documentary has kind of placed this character, this meme character, in a variety of situations that kind of reflect what the guys on screen are saying. So when they're talking about being depressed, we might see our Wojak character lying in bed, you know, or when they're talking about struggling with stress we might see him like like in the jungles of vietnam or something like these goofy animated segments and on the one hand it feels real cheap on the other hand i did kind of like the low fidelity approach it reminded me of like old mtv videos or something like there's something inherently home movie about it that does feel sincere but it's not any kind of professional and and it just kind of feels cheap at the same time i didn't mind it but it's different yeah i didn't uh, to speak of the positives i i didn't mind how it was shot i i thought that was fine and i actually really enjoyed the music uh i thought that it's got kind of like this this punk rock, punk rock um soundtrack uh through that which I, I think mostly original music I, I thought that was actually the best part of the film. That was the most interesting thing as opposed mm-hmm. to anything happening on screen. And, and yeah, you're right. A lot of the, the feelings are, are expressed in meme form. And it's funny to me because they have to explain what some of these things are, like what what Wojak is and what 4chan is and what uh, <laughs> a neat is and what an yes. incel is. And it's, you know, that that's kind of interesting uh, to be take, taken real basic like that. Yeah, and it's weird because that I think that's where we start to find or start to figure out what exactly like who exactly these filmmakers were making this film for and I still don't really have a good answer because they have to explain all of these terms, right? They have to assume if you're watching this movie there's a chance you don't know what a neat is or what a wojack is, so they have to tell you. But at the same time, I feel like most of the people who would be interested in something like this are probably people who are suffering the same way these guys feel like they're suffering, and they already know this stuff. In fact, as as the guys ex- explain in the in the film, they feel like they're above society in some weird way. So, 
you having to pander to them makes you seem dumb. And therefore this film doesn't really seem to explain anything on a level they would want to understand. So it's not made for the guys in the film and it's not really catering to people who don't understand 4chan cultures. So I don't really know who exactly it's aimed at. Yeah. I I mean, I agree. I don't know what the audience is except maybe other incels. And even then, you know, I, I think, I feel like the director is trying to say ultimately that, well, these guys aren't bad guys, and and also over the course of the film, they do a couple of them do kind of grow up, a little bit kind of grow out of this. One one of the characters, there's no cast list here on on the IMDb. Yeah, there's uh, literally no. Uh, what, <laughs> no one of them because it does follow them over a course of a couple of years. One of them eventually he start he gets really into working out, and he starts to get like really changed. He's and he says like you know I changed me physically, changed me emotionally. He's you know he starts getting attention from from the opposite sex because he's in better shape. Like. Um, he kind of grows out of it. And then one of the other people, one of these two brothers, uh, he also ends up getting a girlfriend by the end of the, or the course of the time. So I think that one of the arguments is trying to make that, A, these guys aren't bad guys, which I think they are. And also, <laughs> also B, yeah. that, oh, it's just a phase. Yes. You know, which may be, which may be very true. You know, I, I, I think that there's definitely points in my life when I definitely could have related to some of the, the stuff in, in this film. But, that does, that's not an excuse for that kind of behavior, you know. And again, no one no one can tell what you mean. Like no one, like one of one of the brothers get gets banned from Twitter because he he makes a joke about drifting his Miata into a into a big crowd. And I think this would have happened shortly after the Charlotte Charlottesville protest where someone did drive. And that's and that's the danger about this is not maybe these individuals aren't going to do anything violent. But online radicalization is a real thing, and it's a real problem. And and the guy who who drove into the crowd in Charlottesville was one of these like young twenty twenty one year old uh, people fed up with life, and you know drove to the protest and drove it into a crowd. So like there there is real danger here, right? And, and I I can appreciate the fascination on a surface level with, with people like this because ultimately that's that's what this is. It's a, it's a surface level documentary that's kind of looking at. These guys who feel like they are hyper-anonymous 20-somethings who have somehow slipped between the cracks because they were homeschooled and their parents didn't care and then they couldn't get a job and now they just sit on the internet. Like, that, in a way, that's interesting to me. It is. Like, but at the same time, stepping back and saying, oh, well, hey, uh, when we jump forward a couple years, it turns out a couple of them have kind of figured it out and it's just a phase and it's not that big of a deal. You're kind of denouncing your own, like theme here that like these guys are intriguing and interesting by saying ah it's just a phase yeah you just get over it it's like well sure and and, and obviously i don't hope for the subject of this document of this of this film to be depressed their whole lives obviously that's not what i'm aiming for and, and i get the idea that like there's a human being behind every username totally i totally get that that's valid but the film just doesn't really embrace that ideology enough to say anything about it. It kind of just follows these dudes around and then it ends. Yeah, I guess. yeah, it does, and it, like it kind of excuses all their behavior, you know, o- online. And one of the one of the the guys, uh, Cantbot, uh, who, who's been like I guess doxxed by by journalists and people know who he is now, and he's you know had problems with that. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, it basically it's almost like saying, well, boys will be boys. It's not that big of a deal, like, um, but ultimately, like, it, it's just, it just wasn't particularly interesting. It didn't raise big questions. You know, I was reminded of very good documentaries, like, like one of my favorites is um, 
Into the Abyss, uh, the Werner Herzog documentary about the death penalty, which st- takes place in Huntsville, Texas. Um, it's a fascinating doctor- documentary, which doesn't ask you what you think about the death penalty. It just it lets you look at it from all angles, from you know, from the victims, from the families, from the the people on death row, like everyone involved. It, it's really incredibly intriguing. And then you get something like this. It's just like I said, I was falling asleep. I had a hard time staying off my phone. Yeah. Um, now, now I do want to take a step back and understand that this is a South by Southwest documentary, right? This is somebody who's up and coming. Alex Lee Moyer is obviously learning about filmmaking and documentary style. And this is definitely, she's definitely swinging for the fences here. She's going for something big, but it does, doesn't quite get over the mark. So I'm curious, what do you think could have been changed or, 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 or could be tweaked in the vision to help kind of screw down on something solid here. Cause I think it could be anything from like talking to their families. Like, cause I kept waiting for it to cut to their parents. What the hell are their parents doing? What are their parents thinking? You know, like just, just broaden the scope a little bit or maybe just go deeper on one guy. And all you talk about is the dude who had his gun seized because he made a joke about taking firearms to a Joker screening or like, just, just like either aim at one guy or, or go broad with all of it. I think and it doesn't really go either way. Yeah, I, I agree. It would have been way more interesting to, to meet the parents, see what their parents think of this, of their lifestyle or kind of how this is going to interview. Um, like I said, psychologists, teachers, uh, law enforcement would have been, I would have been really interested to see how, how they, and I think they have some like archive footage of, of some of the people, but, um, yeah, I would have liked some full fledged, like, what do the police think of these guys? What, what are the military? Right. What is, what is the, you know, cause they're sure. on like a watch list. Right. Yeah. No, I, I'd love to see something from a staff member who is somehow involved in running fortune, you know, who runs this thing? What are they about? Like, let's, let's, let's get a little deeper here. And I think I've seen documentaries that have kind of touched on that, but they've never really gone deep enough to matter. And, and, there was one a long time ago. I think it was just called, I don't remember the name, but I think it was called Anonymous. I watched it in like 2012 or something. And it was more about that. And it was a little wider. And it's just, it draws a better picture of, of kind of what's happening and how people get into this. Instead of just kind of following these guys around who are depressed and feel like they don't matter. And then, okay, it kind of works out for some of them, I guess, at the end. Um, ultimately, it just doesn't, like I said, it doesn't dig deep enough to have anything to really say. And it's such a... That's such a tragedy for what's going on in here because I think there's there's a nugget of something good there, but it just just doesn't doesn't quite get there. Yeah, I I think I'm ready for recommendations. <laughs> I could keep uh, <laughs> yeah. to, well before before we yeah. get the, before we get there to to touch on the uh, just real quickly on the on the South by Southwest online terrible experience <laughs> on my. <laughs> Okay. So, so here, here's yeah. why a number of things first of all it was hard to find these films they didn't have a section that was just like the south by south no like yeah. online here's the film collection that's the film festival no i had to like search type in every every single thing so it wasn't very intuitive uh also uh no subtitles which i was looking i kept thinking i was doing something wrong because there were no i kept trying to turn on the subtitles for this film um to try to keep me more engaged and i it wasn't working and then when we tried to watch the french film Oh, it, there was a, a thing that came up that said, "Oh, there's no captions provided," which is right. a massive problem for because all the feature films were all um, in foreign language. Right. So. I, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, we should talk about that for a second. The experience of watching a South by film on Amazon Prime. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, South by Southwest has partnered with Amazon Prime to bring some of their films from the festival that would have happened in 2022. Amazon Prime for 10 days. You can watch them free. I think now there's like three or four days left. So if you're listening to this episode, 
uh, close enough to the to the finish line, you can probably get on and watch this film for free. But you're right. There's no there's no big banner on the Amazon front page that says South by Southwest Film Festival films come watch right now. Doesn't happen. Each one of these has a custom thumbnail that says South by on it, but. Ultimately, you have to go looking. They're not easy to find. You have to specifically search for each one. I had to look up a list of films available just to find out what we could and couldn't watch a couple of weeks ago when we decided to plan this whole thing. But you're right, no captions, which really messed with our other screening that we were going to watch, Le Choc de Futur, I think is how you pronounce it, um, which is a narrative film in French about the future, about, about the growth, the rise of electronic music in the late 70s. That just doesn't have subtitles, so we couldn't watch that. That was super lame. And, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's just not a whole Yeah, I mean, and on. also just the, the selection essentially being pretty, pretty sparse. Yeah, nothing from big distributors. Um, yeah, a little, little disappointed with the South by, South by presentation. Th- this is where, yeah, I mean, this is where, like, you know, there, there's a, a film called The Green Knight that I was, that was supposed to premiere at South by that uh, I would have loved to have seen. I mean, I would have paid pre top dollars to see that. Right. Yeah, that, I, I I probably would have paid, yeah, I was going to say 20, 15 bucks, 10 maybe. <laughs> That's why I said top dollar. I, it's not, yeah. non-committal. <laughs> right. I, I'd have thrown one top dollar at that movie. Um, no, I would I would have liked to have watched that too. That's not an option. So I guess what it is, is what it is. But I'm not, I'm not disappointed we watched this movie. In fact, I'm glad we watched it so we can kind of get the idea of the experience in case they do this again. Um, do you think they're going to do this again? What do you think, what do you think the odds are South by... No, no, I, 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 no, I, I don't think the, I don't think the viewership's going to be good. Uh, anything you, anyone, anything anyone wanted to watch wasn't there. So if you're going to do an online film festival, it's got to be better. Now I do understand that that can, and and another big film festival are going to also be going online, but I I don't think that's going to be public. Right. Hopefully we can get some passes. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Andy, would you recommend TFW No GF? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> d- just from uh, from from a, a big picture, it's just not interesting. You know, it, yeah. I just thought it was super boring. You're just talking to these to these young, like eighteen to twenty two year olds uh, who don't really know much about life or life experience, and they're sad and upset that they're not in school or have good jobs. You know, one of them complains about like, you know, it used to be, you could just graduate high school and go work at the factory and life would be great. And now I have like that, that's gone. Now there's nothing else left for me. And I was like, well, yes, there is. You're not, you're doing way better than a lot of America. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So it's just, it's just not interesting. It doesn't raise any big questions. It doesn't have provocative or compelling interviews or, you know, just things that make me go, wow. Like I just, slogging through it and then and i also at least think it's also dangerous to kind of sympathize with these guys or try to think like they're like you don't sympathize with terrorists even though they're not all blowing up stuff or or killing people you know it's it's still like the the, what they do and the things they say are still very harmful and very dangerous yeah i i kind of agree i i think i might recommend it to some and by some i mean a very niche audience if you are documentary hungry and you love documentaries give it a go who knows like you you might come out of this thing and feel like man zach and andy had it totally wrong but i think i think you'll think we're pretty on the nose and if you're really a sucker for like 
I don't know, 4chan content in the mainstream. Uh, sure. You know, why not? If you, if you want to see what this thing's about, go for it. But unless you're specifically seeking it out, this is not for the average viewer. It's not anything. I think you're, you're really going to miss. Uh, it's interesting, but ultimately what's happening here, I think could have been boiled down to like four 10 minute YouTube videos in like a limited vice series or something about dudes on the internet. Like it doesn't, it doesn't come together to be better than the sum of its parts. It's just, it falls a little flat and I'm so disappointed because it was the most interesting doc on offer for the South by festival, which also was just kind of a bit of a bust. So I don't know. You win some, you lose some, I guess that's the way it goes. And that's okay. Uh, that's, that's TFW, no GF. And with that, we should move on to our next segment. Uh, haven't really rehearsed this probably should have, but it wouldn't be off script if we'd done any kind of really, <laughs> really right. production beforehand. We were professionals. Uh, so Andy, what are we, what are we calling this? Hundredth episode celebration. So we have now, this is our hundredth episode of the show. We, we started it back in November of 2017, actually. Um, We've come a long way. I was actually living in Arizona when we started it, and now we're now we're both in the same uh, city. Still, although we're still um, separate, still um, recording separately. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it's been it's been quite a ride. We've seen tons of movies, had lots of discussions, and so we're going to talk about uh, some of our highlights. So first things first, uh, just kind of a broad overview of the history of I think where we've done the show is engaging to people. Uh, I, I think it's important to start with the yeah, when we started the show, you were in Arizona. Originally, we were both working in the same office, uh, and that office had a podcast studio, which is um, kind of how I got into all this stuff. But we talked about wanting to do something for a while. We talked about movies a lot, and we played video games, and we wanted to get into something new. And and uh, we, t- we, t- we tried to come up with a name for this podcast for like weeks. <laughs> I remember yeah, that was yeah. the thing. Troubleshooting and trying to come up with something. And, and we had another co-host originally. Yeah, we originally she, had the third host. Then, right. then she stopped working at that office. And rather than like be mature and talk to her about it, we just kind of said nothing and kept doing the show we like doing. Um, it had nothing. I'm, of course, it had nothing to do with her opinions on Bolt Cinema. Obviously, that was entirely unrelated. But um anyway we, we we did the show for a while there uh, but but andy moved and and we were like well we need to we kind of wanted to keep doing it so we figured out how to do it over skype and then we kind of kept it up and then when andy moved back and was still working for the same company but now back in town again we started doing it in town and then andy left the company and we started doing it over skype again and then i left the company and then rather than be like hey we live eight minutes away from each other let's just drive over me, being the antisocial man that I am, was like, no, I'd rather keep doing it over Skype. So that's how we still do it. We still do the show remotely. And if you didn't know that, uh, it's because our production is, is top quality. Fantastic. That's right. Yeah. Despite the fact that I'm on my gaming headset today because my it's, mic my mic broke. Yeah. Yeah. And his mic broke before our 100th episode, which is, uh, again, somehow so fitting for, for this wonderful little show we've been doing. Uh, Andy, Andy, that's the history. Any, any... I don't know what's next. Yeah, well, I want to talk about just some of my. Um, we'll talk about movies in a second, but just some of my kind of mem- memorable things that have happened because of the show. One of the things yeah. that we've uh, done a lot of is uh, go- go- theater outings. We'll go and see a movie, and a lot of that has been at the Texas, the historic Texas theater in Oak Cliff, Texas, where infamously uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested after he shot JFK. Um, 
it's, it's such a cool theater though i know it sounds weird but it's so great yeah it's historic it's, it's old school and they have a lot of they they show new things they show a lot of more obscure or independent uh that we we see a lot of retro screenings there and it's it's a great you know it's in a kind of more historic older part of, of the city um you know and, and then afterwards we usually go to to uh 10 bells bar and get overpriced beer it's it's really great but we've also visited several other places you know we've been to the angelica we've gone to other either the amc the cinemark we've been through a host of theaters around town but uh but it's really great when we can go out and and get together to see a movie in person yeah that is a good time we've also invited people to see films with us which has been kind of neat um, um we did start a little kind of private movie club with a couple of friends who we have not done anything with since the pandemic started uh, since before the dark times, but we've, you know, we, we, we've used going to see movies once a week as an opportunity to kind of branch out and, and learn more about what other people do and also learn more about cinema, of course. And that's worth mentioning. I, I, I have loved going to the Texas theater. I'd never been before I started this show. Um, and now it's my favorite theater in town. My second th- favorite theaters I'd also never been to before starting the show, Alamo draft house, which Man, I, I, I went to film school just about 45 minutes north of Dallas, Texas, and people always went to Alamo Draft House there. And I was like, eh, I'll get over there at some point. Ah, eh, sounds a little overhyped. Ah, eh, what do they know? Nah, man, Alamo Draft House is so great. If you can't go to the Texas theater, you should go see a movie at the Alamo Draft House. But that's been cool. One of my favorite memories of seeing movies that I can immediately think of, two of them, actually. One, going to see 2001 at the Texas theater. Because that was the first time I actually sat down and watched the whole thing in a theater and totally changed my experience in two. And I can't remember what movie this is, but there's a Cinemark just up the road. And one time I, I rolled in to see, a, to see a movie and Andy was in there. <laughs> the yeah, that's right. The theater. What movie was that? Oh, I can't I remember. remember. I can't remember. Yeah, but something, I, we, something we both showed up for the same movie at the same time. Like, yeah. Without coordinating. Like, oh, snap. Yeah. Andy's the only other person here. So that was a good time. But otherwise, <laughs> that yeah, man, going to see movies has, has been really cool. Even having to see them once a week, which sounds like a chore. But, you know, we, we make it work. We take weeks off every now and again. Yeah, the, one of the other other things that uh, has been a lot of fun is the very few guests. We haven't had, had enough guests on the show because it's a little bit, bit difficult to do. Um, yeah. one, a couple of our early episodes features um, our good friend Amanda uh, for, I think it was it was either Star Wars or Harry Potter or, or both. But we also had the, uh, the pleasure of having one episode with uh, Jack from Jack's Movie Reviews, which is a big YouTube channel, or at least was. I think he's discontinued it because it's a lot of work. Um, but that was fun. And that was kind of the first time, like I reached out to a, a big, I mean, cause he has a hundred thousand, like hundred, he's a hundred K subscriber base. Um, and he, he, I reached out to him and he took the time to listen to our show, liked what we had to say, and then, uh, came on, uh, to do that show. That might've been the, uh, the Avengers, maybe the infinity might've been infinity war. I know it was right around Isle of dogs. Cause he really wanted to see it. And I think it wasn't in town, so he couldn't see it, but we went and saw it. Yeah. 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 So I think it was Infinity War, yeah. Um, yeah, having Jack on was great. And, and I remember, man, I, I've wanted to do something like what he was doing on YouTube for so long. And I've seen other film, like video essay people on YouTube, video essay creators, kind of fall off. And when he fell off, I was really bummed because, one, he was on the show and I like his work. But, two, because I was like, man, it must be really hard to do that on the It must on be the so much work. So yes. much work. Yeah, like going to see movies – 
and doing a podcast is one thing. Like putting together a video essay, get, like getting footage and putting that together, writing it, scripting it, matching your footage. Like, oh my god, to do that every week is exhausting. And and Jack so, is and, so much work. Yeah, yeah. Jack's a fine example of like just how much work that is. That you could have that many people watching you. And decide, you know what, I can't keep up at this pace. Um, and that's really a bummer. I think he still does stuff, though. I follow him on Twitter. So every once in a while, he'll post an, an observation or something. So that's cool. But, yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's funny when you talk about guests. Amanda was definitely on. We've got a couple other people. Um, none of whom immediately come to mind. <laughs> but I know one I guest I've always wanted to get on the show is my wife, Christine. Uh, and I've... When, when we started this show, I had a very childish look at view of, like, having significant others on. But, man, ever since she found out Amanda was on the show, she was like, oh, so women can be on off script, <laughs> but not me. And since then, I'm like, well, we got to, we just got to find the perfect something. So someday a movie will come along. It'll probably be a Harry Potter feature or something like that or or some Star Wars something that she loves. And, and we'll, we'll make it happen. I'll, Christine will make an appearance on the show, uh, hell or high water. Um, but until then, uh, Andy, what else you got? What, what else you like about this? Okay. Thing? So the other thing that, uh, our first episode, uh, which was way back in November of 2017, which where we reviewed justice league and Coco, um, which, you know, episode one, the beginning of it all that, uh, very m- memorable. I need to go back and listen to it because it probably doesn't sound anything like, no, that, like yeah, this. don't go back and listen. <laughs> don't do that to yourself. Like we sound now. I remember it took us about 10 to 15 episodes to really kind of hit our stride. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, the, our recurring favorite segment, the death of cinema, which we've seen the death cinema has died and been resurrected several times <laughs> in the last few years, but there's all our discussions from, you know, streaming and Oscars and different tech, the emergence of different technologies and, you know, different trends and things like that. Things that are either seriously or I just ironically killing cinema have been, uh, you know, some of my favorite things. Yeah, uh, the Death of Cinema segment's been a lot of fun. I, I've, I've always had a lot of... I've always had a great fascination with, like, exploring what else we could do with that and how we could grow it, and I've never done any of it because I'm lazy and, and more focused on, I don't know, other things. But I think there's so much that works in that bit, and I think we could do more with it, even with the, the goofy Shining music that Andy came up with on, like, the first episode. And I was like, what are we – What should we should have some music here. What do we do? And he was like, oh, that, that thing from The Shining, that'll be cool. Because uh, you know what that is. And, and I think that's been – uh, yeah, a lot of fun to, to just look at headlines and be like, oh, my God, how how are movies going to cover after this? Or Steven Spielberg hates streaming services. Oh, no. Like, it's, it's been a lot of fun conjecture, and it creates a lot of interesting conversation and dialogue around what cinema is and how it involves, evolves and changes and, and what what seems to be harshing cinema's buzz this week, I, I think, is, is a lot of it's a lot of fun. I enjoy that segment a lot. Uh, I went back and looked. Episode 16 is the one that had Jack's movie review on it. Uh, it was Isle of Dogs and Ready Player One. He was on that with us. Uh, so if you're interested to see what he thought, you can head back and listen to that episode. Again, we, we were just sitting there stride a little bit. So it's, it's clumsy, but I, I, I'd say still go back and listen anyway if you like what we're doing. Movies. What have <laughs> Movies, been, Andy. What, yes. What has been your... Um... Real big standouts. I mean, it's a lot okay. of movies because we we've seen just so viewers know we've we're at a hundred episodes. We've seen on average two films per episode, sometimes yeah. three, but sometimes one. But most of the yeah. time, it's two. So around two hundred movies we've seen. 
It's a lot, man. And I think of when I think of movies for the show that I want to highlight for episode 100, it's hard to land on any like strong handful, which I know seems like I'm like I'm dodging a, a larger goal here, which is to like identify some films that you liked for the show. Um, but man, there's so many movies we've seen that I don't think I would have seen had we not been doing this show. Um, st- starting with things like Blade Runner 2049, which is probably my favorite <laughs> favorite film we've seen on the show to date. To things like Mandy, which was my favorite film of a couple years ago, which I've I've watched since and maybe didn't age as well as I thought. But damn it, I thought it was so cool. I there's there's movies like Black Klansman or or Eighth Grade. There's retro screenings like Two Thousand One or or Perfect Blue. Like I, those were super cool to watch. And then there's there's really odd stuff like like Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. Or, or even Gaspar Noe's Climax. For some reason, when I thought of this list, I kept coming back to Climax, and I don't know why, but I think it was the Texas Theater, and it's so weird, and it was like just that perfect kind of, just that perfect kind of odd, like a movie I never would have watched if we hadn't been doing this show that really jumps out at me. And then there's a ton of bad ones. Well, not, not even a ton. We, we were pretty good at picking movies. Yeah, but... we, we do try to avoid stuff that's, that's really bad. What about what about you? I think one of the things that, that's jumped out is several kind of genres of film. Uh, I think our, our discussions on horror at large have been really interesting. Uh, th- things like Midsummer, um, Hereditary, of, of course, and just that all our horror horror discussions we're, I, th- I feel we're, we're definitely very in, in tune tune with that um some of our other ones suspiria stands out t- to me uh, the witch which i hadn't seen you know several years until after it came out um and then always just looking to see what is horror doing what does it mean what when is it scared the different kinds of, of fear that there are I, I think that's been one of my favorite parts of the show yeah, and I've, I've, like I said, I've really enjoyed kind of the indie films too. Just the odd stuff, like Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die, or or Climax, or... I mean, even Hereditary was odd when it came out. Like, it seems more mainstream now, but like, man, we didn't know anything about that movie going in. Uh, and now we've seen Midsummer and like, seeing Ari Aster's career come up, watching Taika Waititi's career come up, like, seeing directors who we can track over this time that we have watched from step a to step b to step c and see how they grow and see how we've grown to analyze their films since like that's been really cool that's been that's been maybe one of the most rewarding things about doing this yeah absolutely i'm I'm just kind of looking through through our our list here you know getting they talking about the you know oscar season summer blockbusters kind of the these different periods that we see the kind of (laughs) dump it in january (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah the graveyard that is january through march for some reason that like nothing good comes out yeah, yeah. i i think uh, looking at the i think episode 80 which is the lighthouse and parasite that might be our that might be the most perfect set of films together <laughs> oh man i was I, I remember walking out of parasite i know i think i saw lighthouse second and just thinking to myself like my god like what a great week at the movies i think i said it on the show like three times like that episode was just such a just such a great just such a great bit the two of those together what a great double feature and then at the same time you get movies that weren't as as high notes i, I think of movies like uh jurassic world fallen kingdom my god did i dislike yeah. that movie uh or super super troopers too <laughs> that i wanted to go see so bad and you were so right it was terrible um, you know, movies that were uncomfortable. Jesus. I remember we watched Leaving Neverland. My God. <laughs> we couldn't finish the second, but yeah, we couldn't Good watch. Lord. We opted out yeah. of part two. Yes. Or, or movies that just were not well put together. 
I, I, the first one that jumps to mind is things like Mowgli Legend of the Jungle, which was not Jungle Book 2. That was just the Andy Circus Netflix film. I remember that one. I liked that one more than the other one, personally. You did, and I don't even remember what the other one was. That, that's I, just I, the, the Jungle Book, uh, the John, oh, the right, John right, Favreau. The jungle, right, the John Favreau's Jungle Book had come out right around then, which was a predecessor for Lion King, of course. I remember watching Ballad of Buster Scruggs and thinking, like, damn, Netflix can put out some good films, man, or, like, Roma. I need to go back and watch Buster Scruggs. And I think I've, I've seen that several times, and I, I, I love that soundtrack. I, I've listened to that on loop uh, before. Uh, it's really well done, which is a shame that Netflix, is. it's possible for them to make great films, they just they're at a quantity over quality kind of situation. Yeah, it's a little like Bloomhouse, right? Productions with their horror films. Like every once in a while they put out a killer one like Us <laughs> or or Get Out, but otherwise like it just is not most of the time it's just really surface stuff. I don't know. I, I think yeah, like I said, being able to track where we've been and where I was as far as like filmmaking is concerned three years ago versus now i think i'm i have a better understanding of it now than i did then and that i was closer to being out of film school then which is weird like but doing the show's been a lot of fun learned a lot yeah is that it is that our 100th episode celebration? <laughs> i think i think it is i think okay. it is that's that's everything that comes to mind hey man maybe we'll do a bigger for 150 we'll see but uh definitely no signs of slowing down in fact if anything i've got some ideas for what we can do in the future to kind of grow what we're doing. Cause God, we've been a hundred episodes for God's sake. We, what are we doing? We need, this needs to be, we need to be on, we need to have our own column, in the local paper or something at this point, we should be, we'd be featured in radio segments. One of us is featured in radio segments. Now that I think about it, that's right. Uh, radio tour. Someday I'll get back on. Yeah. Dr. Draper radio extraordinaire. But anyway, we should move on to our final film before we do that though if you have listened to any episodes before this one or even if you're just listening to this one now thanks for listening seriously like it, <laughs> it means a lot that somebody somebody is listening to these ramblings we're, we're, we're doing we don't necessarily do it for other people i think we do it because we enjoy it but the fact that other people enjoy it the way we do means the world so yeah andy any thoughts on listeners um th- thank you for uh sticking with us uh this whole time and uh yeah. we will continue to improve the show and see more stuff and k- keep the hot news and hot takes coming at you <laughs> yeah more more depth of cinema to come and with that we should move on to our final episode final film of the episode excuse me the movie is trained busan Train to Busan is a 2016 South Korean zombie film, which is very odd, but I can explain why we watched this movie just out of the blue, because if you haven't heard about it before, it might sound like a strange one for us to just pick when we had like an empty an empty slot and we needed to watch something for the week. Uh, the reason we watched this is twofold. One, because Le Choc de Futur is only featured in French on Amazon Prime South by Southwest Film Collection. They don't have English subtitles, and we were like, well... We got to watch something. And and two, because we meant to watch this one for a little while. There was an announcement about a sequel uh, a while back, which kind of brought it back up to me, but I'd forgotten about it. But it, when it came out in 2016, it won some awards. It, it got a lot of acclaim online. People said, hey, this movie's actually really good. And I remember I hadn't really heard a lot about South Korean cinema at that point. Now I've seen Parasite and I've seen <laughs> Snowpiercer. You've seen the, yeah, you've seen yeah, the Yeah, and pinnacle. I'm like, oh man, they can make really cool films over there. And I'm, I'm really impressed. And... and uh, 
we'll probably talk about that a little in regards to this movie, but to just to screw down on what's happening in Train to Busan, let me explain. Train to Busan is a zombie virus outbreak film that's featured. It's about a, a struggling father and his young daughter who are trying to make it to Busan so he can hand off his daughter to his, I believe, divorced wife, or maybe they're not divorced yet, but I, I'm not really sure. Um, on the way, of course, they hop on the train, they're, they're doing their thing, when suddenly there is a outcry from the back of the cab, from the back of the train, something's going on, they go back to investigate, and it's zombies. And it's zombies on a train. That's fundamentally what's going on. It does get more complicated than that, the movie is just under two hours, an hour 58, but it has thrills, it has chills. Train to Busan is a surprisingly active, uh, low-budget film that I was, I was pleasantly surprised by andy what did you think of train to busan i really enjoyed it i I can see why it had so much kind of hype and buzz about it and why you know a sequel's being made it succeeds on a number of level it's it's a very good zombie film it's uh there's this kind of uh touching uh, family drama going on it's fathered daughter relationships it's really important it's also social commentary you know that there's a lot about the uh, the rich class versus uh, poor class kind of or, or working class uh you know class warfare kind of themes in it as well so there's a whole lot going on it's i just thought it looked so polished like usually zombie films don't look this good um and in addition to good performances and yeah it's a little long but uh overall i really enjoyed it yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. It, it definitely could have been shorter, and that's not necessarily the detriment of what it's doing, but there's kind of a moment late, like about three-fourths of the way through the film where you feel like it could roll the credits and it would be fine, and it just keeps going for another half hour. So uh, your mileage may vary, but it definitely has some pacing issues. And along with that, it's a little low budget. Uh, there's definitely some kind of obvious CGI in... in a, a fair a fair number of scenes but ultimately for the simple premise i really respect what they're doing it's a small set right it's a train uh, there's a couple other sets outside of that but mostly it's a small cast it's a whole lot of zombie extras and it's some pretty good gory fun uh it's not too gory while i'm at it it's gory but not it's not like american zombie gory um so let's talk about train to busan uh first I want to talk about our general presentation, right? It, the whole movie does not place, take place on a train, to be fair. We've got kind of some scenes setting up characters at the beginning, our father, uh, and, and this is where I'm going to start butchering names. I'm going to try to move past them real fast. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think you stick to the actor's name. We won't worry about their character. Okay, that, that's what you want to do? Okay, I think we'll that's stick easy. with the actor's name. All right, here we go. Uh, our father's played by Yu Gong, uh, who's been in a handful of other features. I, I'd say our main cast here are, are kind of top billing zombie survivors like kind of in any standard zombie film it ends up with like a small group of people our small group is played by people who are relatively well known in south korean cinema i think i you wouldn't really know them over here i did some research one of them is going to be in marvel's the eternals but otherwise they don't really stand out too much uh but anyway our our, our father is played by a man named Yu gong who is an kind of overworked workaholic man he he likes going to the office and he likes doing his thing and he's like a salary man and that's what he does and he has no time for his wife and he definitely has no time for his daughter uh and that's kind of his thing so when for her birthday he ends up getting her <laughs> very poor taste gift uh and she just wants to go to busan to be with her mom he obliges because he feels bad and he's like you know what you're right i'll take you to busan to see your mom the two of them hop in the train they run into a few other characters uh, 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 a husband and his, his pregnant wife uh, a couple of older sisters who are a little like grandmas uh, a young baseball player and his girlfriend um 
young baseball player played by a guy named Wu Seek Choi, who, if you didn't know, is the main character in Parasite. So that was a surprise. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you not know that? Who, oh, yeah. He's the, he's the son? Or yeah. He, okay, that's... Okay. He's... Uh, they call him Kevin in Parasite. Right, yeah, <laughs> I forget, he, yeah. I forget his... Uh, okay. Dyson, uh, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, he he's uh, he's in this film and he's you know uh, pretty good, and that's kind of our main our main our main cast. And as they get on, they get on the. Hold on, I've been talking too much, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> so, so we said, so they get on the, this train, and you know they, they, there are some rumblings of some sort of riots breaking out. They don't really know what's going on. They don't think it's going to affect them. But uh, one of the an infected girl ends up getting on the train. Of course, infects a couple of others, and so then it becomes a race to, you know, shut shut off uh, or kind of block off certain cabins, try to get all the zombies in one, and not. And this is where a lot of our kind of our themes about like uh, class warfare, because you know, a, a couple times the uh, pretty early on, our our father played by Yu Gong, uh, he kind of he slams the door on a couple of people who who aren't infected but because they might be and, and they kind of force them back back in uh we we have a couple played by uh dong sik ma and who i believe is uh yumi jung who's a, yeah. a married couple and she's she's pregnant but you can tell they're very working class um and it, this is where i, I think it get it could be better it like it doesn't reach parasite levels of com- complexity about class but it is pointing that out because there's a lot of like well the 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 wealthy people that are on the train they don't care about anyone else they they don't they they want to just sacrifice some people they're like well they're, they're you know they're infected or they might as well be infected so we're and that is where we kind of see a character change is, is Yu Gong, the father, starts out that way. And, it, and it's interesting because it's actually reflected in his clothes because he wears this suit and then the suit kind of gets tattered and dirty and he eventually takes off his jacket and he eventually starts to look like the uh, working class people and also so helps him. But there's, there's this whole themes of class warfare as well as just fear, you know, because that eventually starts, people start turning on each other because they, you know, they're afraid that everyone's, Everyone isn't sure who's infected, but so they start just pointing fake figures at each other, and so that that's another kind of kind of like the what fear can do. Yeah, I I, I think first to to address kind of the class stuff. You're right; that's a very relevant theme here, and it's funny because I don't feel like I really notice that in American zombie films, but I notice that very prevalently here, but with a lot of striking like dual imagery between a bunch of zombies pressed up against a glass window, gnawing at the glass, trying to get to people. And also on the other side of the train, a bunch of pedestrians pressed up against a glass window, trying to get through to safety. And they're also kind of doing the same thing that happens a lot in this film. You'll see kind of like, Oh, the zombies doing this and the people are doing this and they kind of look the same. And that's definitely trying to say something that I think is made effective by a bit of a, I don't want to say a villain character, but a bit of a heel. Uh, there's a man on the train who is a, a chief operations officer at a rival transportation company, and he wears a suit similar to our, our main character, the father at the beginning, and he distances himself from pretty much everybody. You, all, all of you could be infected. I don't know what any of you were like. I'm on my own. I'm out for number one. That's me. That's my thing. Um you can imagine this may not work out for him in the long run, but it's a strategy. If you're evading zombies, whatever, everybody's got one. Uh, and, and he very much is, is kind of fleeing even people who are helping him because he feels like, well, you could get infected. You might infect me, get away, get away. And there's this thing of position and class over people who are below you. And, and that's definitely relevant. I don't know if that's a 
more of a thing in South Korean cinema, but I know it was a thing in Parasite. I know it was a thing in Snowpiercer. Those are the two most immediate films that remind me of this one. So as far as our framing device goes, though, I really respected the way this movie sets up our zombies. You're right. There's some... There's some riots at the beginning. There's something going on, but nobody really knows. And it reminds me of Edgar Wright's Shaun of the Dead, right? Like Shaun of the Dead starts with just kind of a dude who's living his life and things just start to go a little awry around him, but he's not really plugged in enough to know what exactly is happening. This is the same way. You'll see fire trucks go by. You'll hear news things. But our main character, our dad, he's caught up in work. He's not worried about that stuff. Like, he's thinking about the next big sale or whatever it is he does for a living. Um, so it's not until the zombies show up that our protagonist is forced to have to deal with, like, to, to, to look at the situation for what it is and deal with it and change because of it. And they realize their ignorance at the beginning of the film is what led them to the situation. And they grow because of that. And, and there's... A lot to be said there as far as class goes. Our our father, who, again, is, is a workaholic and has to step back and realize my daughter's important to me and this is important to me and work isn't all that important to me. That's good. I, I do want to talk about our sets and, and kind of set design. Yeah, I yeah. know I said not the whole thing takes place in a train, uh, do you, but I've been talking a lot. Do you have anything you want to say about that before I jump in? Yeah, we, we have a, a set. So we're on the train for a long time, but we're also, they make an initial stop, uh, kind of the first stop, and... Uh, they very quickly realize that everyone there has been infected, but they kind of a lot of people get off the train before they they know. And and it's it's interesting because there's hordes and hordes of these these zombies, and they're fast and they're rabid and they won't stop at anything. Um, so like the train station stuff works well. There's also there's a great scene towards the end where a bunch of zombies are, are chasing one one of the the train cars and it's i mean there must be a hundred hundred two hundred people in this this scene and uh it looks real it doesn't look like the, it's cgi but it's just really impressive just like the, the amount of of people um but i was just gonna also comment just on the zombie stuff itself was really convincing you know their the makeup is good the acting is good they're gross they bite there's blood everywhere it, it's it's good zombie making film yeah, uh, to speak towards the zombies for a second before we jump into to the kind of the kind of the set design because I do want to talk about that. The zombies are are a bit like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead zombies, right? They're not quite like George A. Romero zombies where they're just kind of stumbling around and uh, brains. Uh, they're fast. They run. Uh, they're a little like Twenty Eight Weeks Later zombies where they're 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 not quite like rage infested, but they look angry. And when they cast these 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 extras for zombies, I think most of them are just standard extras. But they're definitely very visceral. They're definitely very primal. A few of them are probably contortionists or break dancers because there's a couple scenes, yeah, where they're like you know their their shoulders supposed to be broken or something, but they're dead, so they they don't care. And they're all like hunched over and like weird, and they're covered in blood, and they look angry, and their eyes are white, and and uh, they're they're definitely something. So I I appreciate the zombie design, especially considering the budget, and that's where we get into set design. Most of the film takes place in a train, and what's well done about it is they probably didn't have that many train cars to work with when they shot this thing. They probably only had a few, right? It's just like uh, the movie Airplane. They didn't actually shoot that on an airplane. It's just uh, it's just a plane set that they had somewhere, and they moved extras around on it, and they moved stuff around on it to like, okay, well, this is a different part of the plane, but really it's the same set. This is probably the same thing. They probably had, I don't know, a few train cars, and they're not like Snowpiercer train cars or anything. They're kind of just standard, not even like bullet train yeah, like they're very claustrophobic. They're very crammed in. It's rows of two seats, just two rows of two seats and an aisle in the middle. Um, there's lots of little personal effects around the train. So it looks like it's inhabited. It looks like people are there. But 
um, you know, you'll see iPods or phones or like a backpack thrown over a thing. Like it just seems like that's a very real train when they stop at our stops or stop singular. Um, the, the kind of the train station is just quiet, you know, but it, it's a train station. Like they went out and they shot it there. Like, and that stuff really works where it starts to, where you start to see the edges of like the CGI are going to be large zombie hordes kind of in the background. You can tell are just kind of faceless CGI smoke from like a car fire off in the distance. It's like, that's obviously not actually, yeah. Explosions are not super good. There's a couple scenes with green screen behind actors, but for working on a budget, the filmmaking is so good. Like for for knowing where you're at and knowing, well, you know what, this effect looks kind of cheap. It'll work anyway. It's just real solid. I, when when the movie opened, you see a couple of the production uh, production uh, title cards in front of it, and a couple of them just look so cheap. They look like '90s clip art, and I was like, uh oh, what am I getting into here? But it's more like the first John Wick film. Like you can see the edges in the effects, but the action's so good, you kind of don't care. And like when it comes to a zombie movie, that's really what matters. And I think it holds up in that way really well. So well done on the presentation. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I didn't realize it was low budget because to me, I, I think it looks really polished. Um, a lot of it just looks clean. The uh, like I said, they, they have good actors. They they have like the photography is is convincing, and it, and it, like you said, it's convincing enough. Like yes, you know, when that train crashes, that's obviously CGI, but for the large part, uh, you know, it works. And it, you know, it's, and it's more a lot of the tension is is about like you know what's happening on the train car, not necessarily all this bigger stuff. Yeah, no, they they actually shot it for just under nine million dollars, eight point five. Wow, to Wikipedia. Yeah, it's very cheap. Like this is this is practically a home movie, but like it just comes off looking so good. I think that's just a combination of storyboarding and like good lenses and like a good cinematographer. The director Song Ho Yan has done. Uh, what else have they done? Hold on, I just looked this up. Uh, not, I don't think anything else any of us would know. Unfortunately, I know they're doing Peninsula, which is the sequel to Train to Busan. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work. I know it's four years later, but anyway, my, my point is like, it just goes to show like when the filmmaking is really good, like it can totally outshine like the, the flaws that you can see on screen, similar to something like Mandy, like your, your, your cinematography can totally make up for um, any, any, any problems you've got there. And, and the plot holds up pretty well too, as our, as our father starts to realize what's happening and starts to think, okay, maybe I need to start caring about other people a little bit. Um, you know, he gets that way because other people care for him, even though he tells his daughter very early on, don't, don't care about anybody else. This is just about you and you only. And then, you know, later in the film, he starts helping other people and Hey, you know, we can work this out together. And I think it's an encouraging story. I, I, I think it's a little bleak as far as our zombie endings go. Uh, you don't quite get the Shaun of the Dead. Hey, the cops show up and everything's fine ending. Um, but you don't quite get the opposite either. Um, ultimately, I don't know. I, I guess as a package, it, it definitely tries to serve up a different message. Uh, definitely of class. Definitely of, of present. Uh, I don't really, I'm starting to talk in circles here. A- Andy, dig me out of this. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think we're ready for recommendations. I think we're ready for recommendations too. Yeah, I think we are. Andy, would you recommend Train to Busan? Yeah, I would. I think it's an interesting take on, on the zombie genre. Uh, zombies have been done to death, so it's, it's hard to come up with new things. But kind of the snakes on a plane where you're trapped in a confined place that you can't get off is uh, an interesting take. Um, like I said, it also has like social 
messages, which are a little bit on the no- the nose. It's not like I said, it's not as complex or as subtle as something like Parasite, but it, it's interesting to see them there. My my biggest complaint is that it's just a little bit too long. This is a hundred minute movie, and it's stretched into you know full two hours. Yeah, I I think I'm in the same boat. There's there's a very comfortable spot, like I said, where it could have ended and it would have been fine, and then it goes for another half hour. And that other half hour is good, but in a way, it just feels kind of tacked on, which is strange. But ultimately, I did enjoy it. Uh, I think I'd recommend it too. I, I I think if you like zombie movies, check it out. If you'd like to see a little bit more of like South Korean cinema. I think it's worth looking at. I think I probably need to branch out and see more South Korean films because my bench obviously isn't that deep as far as knowledge is concerned. But like, man, three for three. I I, I like this movie a lot. It's creative. It does so much better. Like, I, I think of tra- Train to Busan versus like Snakes on a Plane. Like, two very different premises, but fundamentally a bunch of people trapped on board with things that are out to get them. And like, this one is just so much more engaging for so much less money. Um, Train to Busan, uh, two thumbs up. I liked it a lot. We saw it on Netflix, of course. If you want to watch it for yourself, I think you can see it there. I think it's also on Prime Video. I think you can watch it free on Vudu with ads, and I think YouTube might have some kind of option for that as well if you're in- if you're anxious to watch it. Uh, otherwise, I think that's our show. Andy, what are we watching next week? What are we? What's the plan? <laughs> so. Um, thank God the South by Southwest Film Festival is over, and I'm gonna I'm gonna think tw- I'm gonna think twice about watching another online film festival if that's how it's gonna be. Yeah. Um, we're gonna be looking at Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is on Hulu. Uh, this is uh, I have not, I don't, I'm not real sure what this film is about, but I've heard nothing but incredible things, and I've been meaning to watch it. Um, had a lot of buzz. It, I think it was nominated for for best international film. Uh, along with uh, Les Miserables, which we wa- we watched. Um, and then we're also going to be looking at the documentary Becoming, which is about uh, Michelle Obama, which is on Netflix and comes out uh, this Friday. Yes. Uh, for a quick byline on Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, it was in theaters when this whole pandemic thing kicked off eight weeks ago. And obviously, due to where we're at now, it isn't anymore. Uh, The quick tagline for it, on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. That's all we know. (laughs) So, But again, yeah, I heard nothing but good things, and I hadn't really heard anything about it before. Uh, I believe it's a French film. You know, who who knows? It might be fun. It's on Hulu. You should watch it with us. We're also going to watch, yes, Becoming the Michelle Obama documentary, I think. We have an idea of what that's going to be about. I probably don't need to explain. Um, But if you enjoyed the show, if you like what you've heard here today and you want to find out how you can help us, how you can do something for us, maybe to give back, the biggest thing you can do is just subscribe. Just subscribe to the show so you get new episodes every single week. Every episode is free. That's what we're all about here. And we just like talking about movies and we want to talk about them with you. If you want to talk about those movies with us or movies you've seen or movies you'd like us to talk about, you can leave us a rating or review and you can tell us in there, hey, you should talk about this movie too. You can also find us on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We got a Twitter. And occasionally we post things on YouTube and you can leave comments there. You can also send us a message in an email form. There we go. At mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, where we're posting new episodes. Andy recently did a little magic over there. We've got some radio interviews you can check out that he did uh, around the country, which is still mind-boggling to me, but that's 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 the world we live in now. Andy's doing doing interviews. Uh, and yeah, that's that's about our show. Tell, tell, tell your friends, I guess, and thanks for listening to the 100th episodes. Uh, here's to 100 more episodes to come. God, that's the most generic thing I ever could have said at the end of a, 
podcast. Uh, but thanks for listening. Uh, Andy, thanks for doing a hundred episodes of this thing with me. It's been a, it's been a good ride. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's it. That's it. That's what I think. And with that, <laughs> <laughs> and with that from all of us at off script, the home of bold cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.